I am so glad that you are here. My name is Brad. I'm the lead pastor and also one of the teaching pastors here. And uh, just excited about what's happening, what God is doing here. And, and we just keep hearing stories and just blown away what, what people are experiencing. And God is, is talking to people and, and moving them. And it's just really, really cool. And next week's no different. Um, I just want to give a little shout out here for next week's service so you, you're fully aware. Is, uh, and Jordan's going to repeat all this, so you don't really... Listen to one of us. It doesn't really matter. But, but uh, we're doing a baptism service, and this is the highlight of our year. We love doing baptism and life transformation and celebrating with people, and we do celebrate. So bring your cowbells, bring your, your air horn, you name it. We're going to celebrate when, when people go under the water, man. It's going to be awesome as they come back up to new life, a new creation, if you will. But we're going to meet at 9 o'clock, and we're actually going to meet right out here. Jordan said in first service on football fields. We're going to meet right out here and have breakfast together, eggs, pancakes, bacon, you, you name it. It's going to be awesome. So we'd love for you to join us. That starts at 9 o'clock. And then at 10 o'clock, we're going to walk out to the pond and, and have a short service. Jake's going to do a couple songs. Jordan's going to speak a little bit. And then we are going to baptize some people, and it's going to be phenomenal. And we cannot wait. And if you... Um, maybe have not been baptized ever, this is a, a great time. If you're thinking about it, we'd love to talk to you about it. Or maybe you were baptized as an infant. You know, your parents grew up in a faith tradition where they wanted to set your life on the course of Jesus, and that's awesome, and nothing wrong with that, and we think that's tremendous. But maybe you have made the decision that I'm following Jesus myself, and you want to get baptized. We'd love to talk to you more about that. It's going to be epic. Come on out next week as we celebrate. Well, we are in week three of this series called Jesus is Fill in the Blank. You know, and if we came out here and, and, and talked to all of you, you know, you may be in different places in your, in, in your journey, different situations happening in your life, and you would fill that blank in in different ways, you know. Maybe you're in a, a situation where, you know, you just need Jesus to, to comfort you, and Jesus is your comfort. There's all kinds of things we can fill in there, but we kind of started in, in some areas. We said, let's just talk about who this Jesus is. As we contemplated this, this, this series, we said, you know, let's just get a, a grasp of, of at the core who Jesus is. And we started off week one talking about Jesus is grace. It was a place that I just really felt like we needed to start with. And we asked, your, we asked you, you know, are you worthy? What is your worth? And to God and to Jesus, it's everything. It was worth, your worth was to, for Jesus to lay down his life for. It was for God to pursue you no matter what. And we talked about the parables of of the shepherd leaving the 99 and chasing after the one. And I think we've all been that one at times. Times in my life that I've run as far as I possibly can from God and just questioned the whole thing, but he was relentless in pursuing me and coming alongside of me. And maybe that is your story also. But you're worth everything to this God. And then last week, Jordan talked about that Jesus is the truth. He's fully grace and he's fully truth. And Jesus himself said that I am the way, the life, and the truth, that no one comes to the Father but through me which is an amazing statement. And we've got to grasp that, that he is the truth, that he is the thing that we can center our lives on. And I'll just be honest with you. I was all set to do a, a, a different teaching than what I was that I'm going to do today. And I don't know if it was bad pizza or the Holy Spirit. I don't know. You can make up your mind by the end of this whole thing and decide which one it really was. But I was all set to, to talk about Jesus is the point. You know, the, the point of our lives, and, and we sit up here every week, you know, and we try to point you to Jesus, that if there's something going on in your life, or if there's something that you are needing, that Jesus is the answer, no matter what you're going through, no matter where you're headed, that Jesus is the answer. And I think so often, in, especially in America here, we, we compartmentalize everything. We compartmentalize our lives, and, you know, we kind of have this, this box of our work life, 
We have a box of our family life. We have a box of maybe our leisure, what we like to do in our spare time. And then we have our, our Jesus box, our church box, if you will. And we go from one to the other pretty easily. You know, we get up on Sunday morning, we pick up our Jesus point, and we, and we carry our box in there, and we get done with that, and we set it down, and then Monday morning comes, we pick up our work box, and we start carrying that around until 9 to 5, and we come put that back, and then we pick up our family box. And it's very easy for us to compartmentalize our size, but the point of Jesus in our lives, when we give our lives to Jesus, when we are full-heartedly sold out to follow Jesus, he becomes a point of everything, that he is what our decisions are based on. Everything that we do, whether it's our work, our family, everything, comes out of the centeredness of our relationship with Jesus. He is the center of it all, and there's no decision in our lives made without Jesus being the point. So that was the Cliff Notes version. You got the sermon anyway, so, you know, I'm not going to charge you extra for that. But today, we're talking about Jesus is love. And some of you may be rolling your eyes out loud right now. You know, so do, they, do they talk about anything but love around here? Uh, really, no. Uh, <laughs> but there was just something nagging me about this. And as we started talking about this and we started walking through this, it just, I, just kept, I, I just kept feeling like this is what I was supposed to talk about today, this whole basis of love, that everything we do, the point of Jesus. And when you come to the point of Jesus, the, the bottom line is it's still based out of love. The point of everything that Jesus did was based out of his love for us, love for humanity. And you look at the stories, you look at what Paul writes, everything is based out of this concept of everything starts with love. How we love is how it's going to go. It is the foundation of everything we do as followers of Jesus. And so I just wanna, I just wanna start with 1 Corinthians chapter 13, and, and it's, it's a love chapter, if you will. Maybe some of you actually had some of these verses read in your wedding. And and. and and I love how Paul just bases everything as, as I've been studying over the last few months, and it just all comes back to this. And he's writing to the Corinthian church, and the Corinthian church is unique because they, they were enamored with the gifts of the Spirit, especially that of speaking in tongues. And they also thought that the angels had this, this, their separate language, there's an, uh, an angel language, if you will. And when they got spiritual enough, if they could speak in tongues and they also speak in the, the, the tongues of angels, then they had really achieved something. Kind of puffed themselves up, I imagine. But that is what they were kind of thinking here. And Paul kind of starts addressing this whole situation with the Corinthian church. 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 1 through 3. If I speak in the tongues of men of angels, but do not have love, I am only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. That they wanted this, this gift so bad that they wanted to be able to speak, so they had this, I don't know, I guess they would think highly of themselves. And, and Paul says, that's all great, but if you don't have love, if love is not the basis of that, the language that you're speaking is not going to be heard because all people are going to hear is this clanging symbol all the time. That if you are not based out of love and understand why you're doing this is not for yourselves, it's for the sake of others, for you to love, that's why I've given you this gift, no one's going to hear you. And I would argue today, this is the situation that a lot of us are in, myself included. Many of the church, maybe many of the big C churches, that people on the outside looking in are looking at all these things that we are supposed to be about, and all they hear is a clanging symbol because it's not the basis of love that is coming out of. There's a lot of talk, there's a lot of speech, but it's not based out of there. Paul says it's all meaningless without love. It starts with humility, understanding that others we put others before ourselves. He goes on in verse two. If I have the gift of prophecy 
and can fathom all mysteries. And, and there's so many mysteries. There's, you, you hear about the mystery of God all the time. We don't have it all figured out no matter how much we try to. There's no way that we can fathom this unimaginable God, this God that is way beyond anything that we can, we can even think about. His ways are so much higher than ours, we can't fathom it. So even if we could, could fathom all those mysteries and all knowledge, all this head stuff that we have, it's so easy for us to, to go and, and, and set in study after study, church service after church service, and memorize verses and, and have all this knowledge inside of us. And for some reason, we sometimes equate this spiritual maturity with knowledge. And I just don't think that's what Paul is talking about here. There's nothing wrong with memorizing. There's nothing wrong with Bible studies. There's nothing wrong with small groups coming here. It's all good. I highly encourage it. You need to do that. But if it's not based out of the reason we do it, it's for the love of of others and the love of Jesus, then we are falling short. And Paul's bringing them back to the foundation of even if you had all the knowledge, even if you could do all of these things, if it's not based out of love, it's not the foundation, you are nothing. That's harsh. He goes on, if I give all I possess to the poor and give over my body to hardship that I may boast, but do not have love, I gain nothing. We can do all the right things. We can jump through all the right hoops. We can check off all the boxes that we think we need to check off, no matter what it is. But if it's not foundational in love, if we're not doing it for the right reasons, we have a problem. We are worth nothing. Everything we do as followers of Jesus has got to be based out of love and love for others. It starts with love. It's love at the core of everything. And I think we have to ask ourselves, no matter where we are, no matter what we're doing, when we're interacting with others, when we're typing on our keyboard, on social media, whatever it is, what is our motive? What are we trying to accomplish here? What are, what are we trying, trying to do? Why am I doing this? Is it to be right? Is it just to put my two cents in? Whatever it is, the conversation that I'm having, is it based out of love for this person? Or is it something else? I think we have to check ourselves. And I was struggling so much <laughs> as I was battling this, you know, what do I talk about this week is the point or, or this love thing. And, and every morning when I get up, I, I get my version Bible. That's the first thing I do. And I listen to the verse of the day and, and go through everything they say about it. And one of the days was this. It was 1 Corinthians chapter 16, verse 13. And I, it actually almost made me go back to the, talking about the point. And here's, here's what the verse says. It's not going to be on the screen because I added this later. <laughs> First Corinthians chapter 16, verse 13, it says this, be on guard. Stand firm in the faith. Yeah. Be courageous, period. Be strong, period. And I thought, is that not just the verse we need for the, the, what, we're, what we're facing right now in our culture, in our life, as we look at the world blowing up around us, when we look at all the things going off the rails as we look at it, we say, what is going on? I don't even recognize the world that we live in today. Be on guard. Absolutely, we should be on guard. Stand firm in the faith. We need to stand firm absolutely in faith. Be courageous and be strong. That's what we need to do. Let's stand up. Let's go. Come on. Then I said, you know what? I'm going to read the rest of that verse. So I pulled up the whole chapter. And I read it with verse 14, 14 16, 13, 14. Be on guard. Stand firm in the faith. Be courageous be strong, and do everything in love. No matter where we are, 
no matter where we are interacting, the foundation of everything we do is based in love, love for others. And we've got to check ourselves. And the kind of love that Paul is talking about here is agape. It's God's love. It's unconditional love. And I had to ask myself this week, and honestly didn't really like the answer. I was just talking to Bruce about this between services. Because I had to ask myself, because I think that I love. <laughs> and I think that I love others who are different than me, have different opinions, who, who stand on different kinds of issues than what I stand on. And I think, well, I do love them. And there's something in the back of my mind that said, do you really? Or do you just tolerate them? Or are you just friendly towards them? But do you really love them, Brad? And so as I was looking at these verses from Paul, one of the scholars wrote this about agape love, and it really challenged me. He said this, it is a love that loves without changing. It is a self-giving love that gives without demanding or expecting repayment. It is love so great that it can be given to the unlovable or unappealing. It is love that loves even when it's rejected. Agape love gives and loves because it wants to. It does not demand or expect repayment from the love given. It gives because it loves. It does not love in order to receive. We can read this chapter and think that Paul is saying that if we are unfriendly, then our lives will mean nothing. But agape isn't really friendliness. It is self-denial for the sake of others. And that really challenged me this week. Do I tolerate? Am I just friendly for those that are different than me, that think differently than me, that act differently than me? Or do I honestly love them the way Paul is asking us to, the way that Jesus asks us to? What is the basis of how I love? Can you imagine if we started loving the way Paul is talking about, the way Jesus asked us to? It would change everything. Our marriages would change. Our families would change. Our communities would change. Our schools would change. The world would change. As a matter of fact, it actually did because this is what Jesus did and his disciples did. After the resurrection, the disciples went out and loved everybody they could after being scared to death and running, thinking it was game over. And they overthrew the Roman government because of love, nothing else. Love changes everything. Our walk, our, our following Jesus must come out of the basis of us loving others. And it changes us from the inside out. Paul says that we are new creations, that we are created brand new. When we give our lives to Jesus, when we repent and say, I'm just going to follow you, Jesus. I'll do whatever you ask me to do. You can have all of my life, just not the little segments of it. You can have everything of mine. I am yours. And it changes us drastically from the inside out. And we look at the world differently. We see, we see people that God sees, and we love people that God loves. And, and we start changing our heart, not all at once, but slowly. And, and, and we start moving in the direction of we see people as God sees them. And I love that. And we come here, and we try to we worship to, to give back. And it, it fundamentally changes us of, of how we operate in our day-to-day -day life and our interactions with everyone we run into, no matter where we are in our workplaces, our families, in the grocery stores. You name it, it changes us. 
and we continue to learn and grow. There's nothing wrong with all of that, but it's got to be under the basis of loving and following Jesus in a wholehearted way. Here's actually what Jesus says, and we've been over this verse I don't know how many times in, in, in John 13, 34. It says, a new command I give you, love one another as I have loved you, so you must love one another. And this was not a new command. And the disciples all knew that, but they knew there was something different. It's a new perspective that Jesus is giving them. There's a new way to, to live this whole thing out that we are supposed to love. And how are we supposed to love? We're supposed to love the way Jesus has loved them. In all of their faults, in all their goofy things that they've done, Jesus never gave up on them. He loved them to the very end, to the point that in just a few days, he would lay down his life for them. That's the kind of love that we are supposed to have for each other. Are we willing to lay down our lives for each other? It's a whole new level. It's just not lip service. It's changing how we interact. And here's what it says, as I have loved you, so you must love one another. This is not an option for Jesus' followers. This is a command. This is, you've got to do this. If you're going to follow me, if you're going to claim me, if you're going to to set your life on me, then you have got to love one another. And why do we do that? He answers in verse 35. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples. You want to know how you become a disciple of Jesus? How it shows to the world that you're a disciple of Jesus how well you love others. Some versions actually say it will prove to the world, and the world needs proof, don't they? The world needs proof, and we're trying to prove it in all other ways. It starts with love, with words, sometimes, with action, all the time. Changes the way we look. And then 1 John 3.18 says this, Dear children, let us not love with words or speech, but with actions and in truth. It basically just says that talk is cheap. We can talk about it all the time. And that's why we're called hypocrites, because we talk about it, but it doesn't show in our actions. And Jesus is calling us, Paul is calling us, man, it's got to be the foundation of who we are. You don't start any place else. You can't do anything else if your foundation, it's not going to work if it's not foundational in love. We, as Jesus followers, are to be defined by our love. When people look at us, they're going to say, you know what, I don't know if I believe all that God stuff. I don't even know if it is, is real. But the way they love each other, oh my goodness, I want in on that. It's what drew people to Jesus. It's what drew, will draw people to us today of how we love each other, how we take care of each other, how we look at this whole thing that's going on. So the question is, what defines you? It catches up with all of us. And most of us look around and, and, and as people look at our lives, are we defined by the way we love or are we defined by our success? Are we defined by our job? Are we defined by the way we live? Are we defined by our loss? Are we defined by our pain or our suffering? Or are we defined by what Jesus is asking us to be defined by? How we love. The foundation of who we are. And so I just want to get real practical as we, we end today, and I just want to kind of walk through um, a scripture. I'm going to read this, this, this story. This, Jordan actually talk, talked on this very scripture a few weeks ago about Jesus feeding the, the 5,000. It's in Mark chapter 6. If you want to get your Bibles, you versions will also be up here on the stage. But I want to kind of walk through this, and I want to give us five practical steps that I just think will help us do a better job of loving people. 
And here is Jesus, and he's got his disciples here, and he's, gonna, he's about to send them out two by two. So he sends them out two by two to go out and do ministry and tell, tell the surrounding communities and surrounding people, man, go out and the kingdom of God is here. The kingdom of God is here and now. There's something, God is doing something brand new. And so all the disciples go out two by two, and, and, and they do their teaching. They go from town to town, and they come back. And my guess is they're excited, you know, to tell Jesus all the stories that have happened. And they come back, and, and, and they get with Jesus. And it's kind of like, I don't know if you've ever been on a, a, maybe a mission trip or, a, or maybe a, a church conference or CDYC or rafting trip or you name it that we, we send our, our youth on, and they come back, and they're excited because they've experienced God in a new way. And I believe that's where the disciples are when they come back to Jesus. So we pick up the story in verse 30. Mark 6, verse 30. The apostles gathered around Jesus and reported to him all they had done and taught. Verse 31. Then Jesus, because so many people were coming and going that did not even have a chance to eat, he said to them, come with me by yourselves to a quiet place and get some rest. He looks at them and hears all the stories and he says, man, you guys must be exhausted. This trip that you've been on, it's really cool stuff, but you know what? You need your batteries recharged. You need to get away for a little bit, so let's get away from all these people, and let's go to a solitary place so, so we can just spend time together, and we can recharge our batteries. It didn't go so well. Verse 32, so they went away by themselves in a boat to a solitary place, but many who saw them leaving recognized them and ran on foot from all the towns that got there ahead of them, and Jesus' plan for a little bit of relaxation a little bit of getaway, a little time by ourselves has been interrupted once again. Jesus' plans being interrupted by people in need. Verse 34, when Jesus landed and saw a large crowd, he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. So he began teaching them many things. By this time, it was late in the day, so his disciples came to him. This is a remote place, they said, and it's already very late. Send the people away so that they can go to the surrounding countryside and villages and buy themselves something to eat. But he answered, you give them something to eat. And this was a defining moment for the disciples at this point. What were they going to be defined by? Were they going to be defined by, by love and the need, or are they going to be defined by, you know what, here's a problem, God, let's just get rid of all these people. They said to him, that would take more than half a year's wages. Are we to go and spend that much on bread and give it to them to eat? How many loaves do you have? He asked, go and see. When they found out, they said five and two fish. Then Jesus directed them to have all the people sit down in groups on the green grass. So they sat down in groups of hundreds and fifties. Taking the five loaves and the two fish and looking up to heaven, he gave thanks and broke the loaves. Then he gave them to his disciples to distribute among the people. He also divided the two fish among, among them all. They all ate and were satisfied. And the disciples picked up 12 baskets of broken pieces of bread and fish. The number of the men who had eaten were 5,000, which means there actually was probably 10 to 15,000 there when you included kids and women. And he takes this moment, he takes this miracle, and he, I think there's a teaching moment here that we can all start to understand what, our, what the process is for each and every one of us. If we're truly committed to saying, you know, we want to be like Jesus, we want to love like Jesus, some of the steps that we can actually make to make that transition come to us. We're gonna go back up to verse 34. The very first thing is this, when Jesus landed and saw a large crowd, he sees this large crowd, he, he was about to be interrupted again, he, this is not his plan, he was, he was going up there for some relaxation to get away from all of this crowd, and Jesus sees the need. The first thing that love does is it sees the need. And Jesus saw that, but what did the disciples saw? see? They see a crowd, they see a problem, 
They see an inconvenience. Man, we were supposed to all go get away. We were supposed to have this nice, relaxing time, and now all these people are here? Are you kidding me? What are we going to do now? But Jesus sees something different than they do. And I have to ask myself, and I think we have to ask ourselves, when you look around at the world today, what is it that you see? Do you see inconvenience? Do you see a problem? Do you see things that, man, if it would just all go away, first thing we've got to do if we're going to love well is we've got to see the need. Back to verse 34. When Jesus landed and saw the large crowd, he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. The second part that love does is love feels the need. And this one kind of kicked me in the gut this week, to be honest with you, because I am not one of those feel the need kind of guys, okay? You know, you can ask Courtney or anybody else, man, when the kids are growing up, it's rub a little dirt on it, come on, suck it up, let's go. Pull yourself up by the bootstraps. This is what we're all about, man. That's just the way I think. And, and it's very difficult. And I tell you, I don't want to name names, but there's a couple people in our office, you know, Jordan and Kim, that just feel needs all the time. I mean, I don't know how they survive. They go around and you, they're crying half the time. I'm thinking, dude, suck it up. Pull yourself up. Let's, let's go. But I hate to say it's starting to rub off on me and it's scaring me to death. I'm starting to feel this stuff. And, and, and Jordan looked at me last week and said, dude, those are feelings. I'm telling you, you, you're starting to have feelings. And I'm saying, no, don't say it's not so. I'm joking aside, this is something I need to work on. I need to start understanding. You need to see the need and not just see the need. You need to feel... There's times that, see, I'm a fix-it kind of guy. Here's a, you know, hey, if you do A, B, and C, this is why you don't want to do marriage counseling or anything else with me. I just say, hey, here's how, you do, here's how you fix it. Go. Have a nice time. And there's a time for that. There's a place for that. But there's also this, man, I'm going to join you in your grief. I'm going to join you where you are. I'm going to empathize and have compassion with you and where you are. Before we try to fix anything, just let me, I just want you to know that I'm on your side It's very difficult for me, but that's where we need to get to if we're going to love the way Jesus loves. So love feels the need, and then love this next thing. By this time, it was late in the day, so the disciples came to him. This is a remote place. They said, it's already very late, so you know what? Let's just send everybody away. <laughs> that's, that's their solution right there. Let's just send everybody away. But what does Jesus do? He looks at them, and he answered, you give them something to eat. Their solution is not what Jesus is wanting. They're thinking, this, I, I've got the solution, Jesus. Here's your A, B, and C. Let's get rid of them. And Jesus said, not so much. Let's see what you can do. And then they go into this whole litany of excuses of why they can't do this. But the thing is here was Jesus, when he, he sees the need and he feels the need, you know what he does? He uses us. He uses you with your gifts and talents that you already have to go alongside somebody else. And there's times that we say, well, why isn't God fixing this? It's because we're not doing anything. Because we're so enamored in our comfort and getting, not getting out of our, our, our own way and say, you know what, that's going to cost me something. I'm going to have to get off the couch. I'm not going to be able to watch that series I'm binging. I'm not going to be able to go to everything that my kids are doing. I have to do something else because you know Why? Because God has gifted us, and that's what he's using us for. He's not going to intervene. He's going to intervene in these people's lives through 
us. Life change through us. He tells the disciples, go tell me what you have. Go see what you have. And I believe he's asking last day, what are you gifted at? What are you, you called to do? Look at the inventory of your own lives. How can you come along? What have you been through? What life experiences do you have so you can come alongside somebody else? He has us take inventory of what we do have because God always provides through his people, through their gifts and talents. That's what it's all about. God's provision always starts with what you already have and are willing to do. And I don't want you to miss out on the blessing. I don't want you to miss out on radically watching God transform somebody's life because you were willing to feel the need and do something about it. Because love meets needs. That's what we are called to do. Verse 39. Then Jesus directed them. This, this blew me away this week. I have read this story I don't know how many times. And I never saw this in this story. Verse 39. Then Jesus directed them to have all the people sit down in groups on the green grass. So they sat down in groups of hundreds and fifties. The fourth thing love always does is love builds community. I never saw that before. Jesus says, let's not do this in one big group. Let's do it in little smaller groups. Let's get them in 50s and 100s. Let's get them together, people from, from different areas probably of the country, people with different nationalities, Gentiles, Jews together, all kinds of differences in, in, in where they come from and, and maybe their beliefs. And he says, let's get them all together so they can experience something together. We're going to build this community so they see God work together and say, man, what an amazing God. We're going to watch God provide this need in community. We're going to see God do a miracle together so we can talk about it and celebrate it and do amazing things. It's about becoming a part of, of what God is doing and sensing that. That's what community is all about. That's why we believe so heavily in community. That's why we love small groups. We love the, the, the men's and women's ministries, the things that we do here. Sunday mornings is a part of that. Eating breakfast next week is a part of that. It's all about community. We try to do everything we can so that we can start doing life together because there's someone you're going to rub shoulders with that have been, gone through something that maybe you have an answer for or they just need a friend. They're lonely this week and, and they get to see a smiling face. That's what community is all about where we come and say, you know what? Come see. Come join us in what God is doing over here. Just come and be part of it. It's amazing stuff. And the last thing, five, the fifth thing that love does is love impacts eternity. Verse 34 again, when Jesus landed and saw a large crowd, he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. So what's he do? He begins teaching them many things. What do you suppose? It doesn't tell us. What do you suppose Jesus talked here about? What do you suppose that, that he had all these people in a need, hungry, trying to follow him, after he's exhausted, after he's been interrupted? What do you suppose that Jesus told him? I just believe it's the same thing that he just sent his disciples out two by two. Go tell them that the kingdom of God is here, that God is doing something brand new, that the old is gone, the new is here. This whole old covenant thing with all these rules and regulations that you can't possibly do, 
I am about to fulfill all of that, and that old thing is gone, and we're starting something brand new. There's a new covenant on the horizon, and you're going to be blown away. You're not going to even imagine what God is going to do. There's this new kingdom. It's here and now. It's a new way to interact with this holy God full of grace and full of truth. There's something new that I'm about to institute that you're all able to be a part of. It's amazing. And where does it start? In love. Because it was love of you, of me, of us that Jesus willingly laid his life down for and died. Love sees a need. Love feels a need. Love meets a need. Love builds community. And love impacts eternity. That's what you and I are designed for. Can you imagine if we loved well the way Jesus is calling us to love? We would change the world again. And let's just face it, the world could use some changing right about now. Would you pray with me? Father God, you convicted me on so many levels this week about love about how even when I thought I was loving well, in reality, I am not. That I'm tolerating at best and trying to be friendly to some people who think differently than me. So God, I just pray that you'll break my heart for the people that, that breaks your heart. And I pray for us as a church that you would break our heart for those who break your heart. And God, help us to pursue them and love them the way that you love them. Give us a fresh new perspective and all that you are doing, and help us to love well. And we will give you all the praise and all the glory for it. It's in the powerful, amazing, mighty name of Jesus that we pray this.